Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Well, right now, as you can imagine, uh, the Jackson front yard is covered in white snow. Uh, But a few months ago, it was covered in another white substance. It was covered in toilet paper. Uh, Our house got TP'd by some of our kids' friends during homecoming time. And and I don't know about you, but we take it as like a a thing of flattery, like, oh, they care about us, right? But but there was a lot of toilet paper. The the pictures are up here. This doesn't do it justice. I mean, there was probably 100 rolls of toilet paper out there in our front yard. And uh, when we woke up, we got out there and we knew the forecast was that it was supposed to rain that night or the next morning. And so we quickly gathered everyone together and we got our our laundry baskets and we picked up all the toilet paper and we put it in the, the laundry baskets. Well, Later that day or the next day, I walk into our master bathroom and sitting next to the toilet is a laundry basket full of toilet paper. My wife uh, decided that we could reuse all of these rolls of toilet paper. Um, And I remember walking into the restroom and looking at the basket full of toilet paper and thinking, I have a good woman. I have have a good woman. And I, I tell you the truth. Uh, we have not, it's still going on. Like we still, we're still using it. Now that now the visitors get the new stuff downstairs, but like we have just laundry baskets full of toilet paper that we're still using. And we have such a, such a good woman. I have such a good woman. But, but you see, Trish and I are both very frugal people. Um, we like to save money, and, and we, we have inherited this from our parents. Uh, Trisha's dad actually grew up in a small town in southwestern Wisconsin, and uh, they didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have indoor plumbing. They didn't have central heating. Uh, nothing was thrown away. Everything was fixed and reused, and he still carries that mantra a lot today. Uh, I grew up, and my mom was like the queen of coupons. Uh, she had these entertainment books. Did you guys ever have those entertainment books that were for you? Okay, some of you, where it's just like coupons and coupons. And so we would go to like all these different restaurants in St. Louis. Whatever we had a coupon for, we would go there. But we grew up in very frugal families, and we inherited that from our parents. Um, and it's a reminder reminder to us that, that whether or or whether we know it or not, um, we we imitate people. And, and not only do we imitate people, but other people actually imitate us. And it's not that we don't have an original thought, but we are much more impressionable than we would like to admit. Uh, Marketers know this. Advertisers know this. This is why they spend millions of dollars to have celebrities endorse their products, because they know that we like to imitate those that we admire. And so we buy the basketball shoes they sell, the cars they sell. We decorate our houses like they decorate theirs. We're all imitators of others, and we're all imitated. 
And, and I don't know about you, but, but when that reality, when I think about that reality, it's actually really scary for me because I'm a dad. And, and my kids, just like your kids, just like all kids, are sin strugglers. And the recent thought that I've had is the biggest issue with my kids is that they're too much like their father, right? They imitate a lot of the sin I have in my own heart and in my own life. And so knowing that, that we imitate others and that we are imitated by others is a heavy responsibility. And the question is this. The question is this. What is a life worth imitating? What is a life worth imitating? Think of this from both sides. So, so as we think about imitating others, who are those that we want to imitate? What is a life worth imitating? But also, as we know that others imitate us, what does it look for us to live a life worth imitating? And that's what we find in today's passage. If you would, please open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. You, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a red Bible in the seat in front of you. And it is page 986 in the red Bible. Page 986. Now, I want to give you some of the historical background for this book of 1 Thessalonians again because it plays into today's passage quite a bit. And so if you look up at the map up here, uh, you'll... The Apostle Paul is on his second missionary journey. That's just, this is what it's a map of. And Paul gets to Tros, and when he's at Tros, he has a vision of a man uh, who is begging Paul, who is asking Paul to come over to Macedonia, which is this area, to help them. And so Paul immediately leaves there to go to the area to preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The first place he stops in Acts chapter 16 is Philippi. And while he's in Philippi, there's the conversion of many, but we read about Lydia, the seller of purple, as well as the flipping jailer who come to faith in Christ. After he is in Philippi, then Paul goes to Thessalonica, which is the, 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 the church that our, our letter is written to that we're studying. And when he's in Thessalonica, he is preaching the good news of the gospel, and many come to faith in Christ. Maybe 50 or 100, maybe more people come to faith in Christ. Some of them are Jews, but a lot of them are non-Jews, which are called Gentiles. They're Greeks, and we'll talk more about that today. Well, after, after many of these people come to faith in Christ, uh, the, there are some Jews that rise up that are in opposition to all of these conversions, and so they start to harass the Christians. Uh, one of the guys' name is Jason, who was hosting Paul and Timothy and Silas, who's also called Silvanus in this passage. But, but he's hosting them, and so they're, they're hassling them. Uh, and so Paul uh, is sent out of there with his, with his friends, and they go to Berea, which is just a short stop over. And when they get to Berea, some of those Jewish uh, mobsters, I guess I'll call them, uh, follow them to Berea and start creating trouble for them as well. So they have to go on the run again. And so this time they decide to go much further away. So they take a boat all the way down to Athens. While they are in Athens, it's believed that while they are there, Paul sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to check on the church, to see how they're doing, to encourage them, to teach them, things like that. And then Timothy comes back from Thessalonica, back either to Athens or meets Paul in Corinth. And they, they end up in Corinth. And it's from Corinth that Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonians. And so you'll see in today's passage, you'll see Macedonia talked about, and you'll see Achaia talked about, which is this region. And so that's some of the background, and we'll come back to a map later, but, but those are some important features as we read through this passage. So let's, let's look together. First Thessalonians chapter 1, we'll start midway through verse 5 and continue all the way through verse 10. This is God's word. 
Apostle Paul writing says, You know what kind of men we proved to be among for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for your word. Lord God, show us who we should imitate and how we should imitate you to others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What is a life worth imitating? In today's passage, we will see a life worth imitating is a life of receiving, a life of turning, and a life of waiting. Receiving, turning, and waiting. First, receiving. Look at verse 5 with me again. He says, you know what kind of men or what manner of men, what type of men we prove to be among you for your sake, on your benefit. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. I think the last three words there are so important. Not only were the Thessalonians Christians imitating the Apostle Paul and Timothy and Silas, but more importantly, they were imitating the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were imitating Paul and Timothy and Silas as they were imitating the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says something very similar to this. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And, and when I read a verse like this, I feel very uncomfortable because I know there are many parts of me that should not be imitated, right? There are many parts of me that are flawed, that are lazy, that are sinful, that should not be imitated. And so I love those last few words, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so in the ways that I do not imitate Christ, do not imitate me. But imitate me in the ways that I imitate Christ. And so ultimately, as we think about this, this imitating other people, the top of the pyramid is always Jesus. That is who we are called to imitate, but we imitate those who imitate Jesus. Now, what does this look like? Verse 6 continues, it says, and, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They imitated Paul and Silas and Timothy by receiving the word of God with great joy. That is the, the scriptures, the Old Testament it would have been for them, and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says that they did this in much affliction. Could say much anguish or persecution or tribulation or, or trouble. You see that the Thessalonians' reception of the gospel was very costly to them. It was gift-wrapped in persecution and harassment. The same people that harassed Paul were now harassing them and making them miserable. Most likely, most likely, some of them were losing their jobs, their livelihood, their families, 
Some of them were even losing their lives. But all of them for sure were being discomforted and enduring some sort of suffering for receiving the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes, sometimes you will hear in Christian circles that when you become a Christian, all of life becomes easy, right? And pain-free, and there is no suffering. But Jesus actually promises the exact opposite. Jesus says, in this life, you will have troubles, guaranteed. You know, people do not like the word of God many of times because it pushes against their idols, what they cherish, what they delight in, the way they live their life. You know, the, the Bible is accused of being very narrow, and guess what? The Bible is very narrow. It says there is truth. There is true truth, and there are things that are not true. And so people oppose the word of God, and when they oppose the word of God, they oppose the people of God. We know that the apostle Paul received the word with much affliction, in 2 Corinthians 11, he tells us that he had been in prison, that he had been beaten within a lash of his life five different times, and that he was often left for dead because of his love for the word of God and his proclamation of the word of God. And yet here, like him, he says, you receive the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You see, when the Holy Spirit reveals the magnitude of the word of God, the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it becomes a greater joy than comfort. It becomes a greater joy than a pain-free life. It becomes a greater joy than even life itself. It's the joy of our sins being forgiven, of being made right with God, the joy of wisdom of God, of the grace and mercy of God for sinners. In Psalm 19, I love how David talks about the word of God. He says that it is to be more desired than, than more to be desired, talking about the scriptures, are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. God's word is precious for those with hungry souls who want to know what is right and true and good and lovely. The passage continues in verse 7. It says, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia, that region, and Achaia. Again, you see here, the imitator has become the imitated. They imitated Paul and Silas and Timothy, and now others are imitating them. They have become an example to others. Verse 9, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. This, this Greek word for sounded forth is derived from the Greek word echos, which we get the word echo, and it means to ring out. In the Old Testament, it's used to describe bells that are ringing and trumpets that are blowing and loud noises that are going out everywhere. And what we learn is that not only did the Thessalonians receive the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ with great joy, but the word of God and the gospel of Jesus echoed out from them. It rang loudly over the communities around them. It overflowed from their lips throughout the region. For the Thessalonians, the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ was too good to keep a secret. It was too good to keep to themselves. They could not contain it. They had to share with someone because it was such good news. But you see that they received with joy the word of God. Some of you know one of our attenders here named Terry was 
struck with very aggressive cancer, uh, very, very aggressive cancer. In, in just a few weeks, the cancer had taken over most of his body, and it was debilitating, and the chemo has been very difficult. And he and his wife, who are caring for him, have, have suffered greatly through this. And when I get to hear from him and hear from his wife, you can hear the pain, you can hear the suffering, but you can also hear their joy in the word of God. They're constantly quoting scripture to me. They're constantly ministering to me, their minister, all the time. Just yesterday, she sent me a text message, and it was a Bible verse. Don't worry about anything, Philippians 4, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Dwell on these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And then she says this. She says, I'm reminded in Philippians 4 that prayer is the antidote for worry. And my heart is thankful I have a God I can run to, and he shows me what things to dwell on and give me peace. Have you ever met those people where when you cut them, they bleed scripture? Like they just talk about the Bible. You're like, I'm filling up my tank with gas and somehow it relates to a passage in the Bible. It's like, I don't know how this, but, but people that just love the word of God, love the scriptures, they received it not only once, but again and again and again. And so let me ask you, what is your relationship with the word of God? Is it something that's crusty and stale that you put away? Or is it living and breathing and active in your soul? Is it a refuge of truth and mercy and grace? Do you search the word, study the word, marvel over the word, rejoice in the word, memorize the word, and spill the word of God over to others? What is a life worth imitating? Is it a life that receives the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and spills it over on those who are around them? Secondly, a life worth imitating is a life not only of receiving the word of God, but also of turning. Look at verse 8 with me. He says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Okay, so let's look at the, this map again. This is a zoomed-in version of the map. Again, Thessalonica is up there. Uh, Paul goes to Berea at first, but then he takes a boat all the way down to Athens and all the way to Corinth. And what he is saying is that when he gets to Athens and when he gets to Corinth, he's going in and he's saying, I have to tell you about this revival that happened in Thessalonica. And the people in the churches there are saying, oh, we already know. We've already heard. Like it's front page. Like it has gone out throughout the region. Paul says, I don't have to tell them because they already know because that is how great their faith is influencing others. That's how amazing their faith is. Verse 9 continues. It says, for they themselves, the people in the churches in Macedonia and Achaia, report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you, here's the word, turned, how you turned, turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Many of you are familiar with Mount Olympus, the water park, um, but in Greece there is the actual Mount Olympus. It's the tallest mountain in Greece, and it's located just 50 miles from Thessalonica. And it was considered the home of the 12 principal gods 
of the Greek world, gods like Zeus and Apollos and Athena, gods that you still hear of today. And the mountains was a very popular tourist distraction, tourist uh, uh, attraction as, as, they would, as they would pilgrimage to this mountain, that they would climb this mountain to worship their gods. These were the people of Thessalonica. This is what they would go do. But for these people, for these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people, even though their idols were a big deal, even though their idols provided them some form of false security and comfort and salvation, they knew that the true God was different. The God that Paul and, and Silas and Timothy were preaching to him were different than all of their gods. You see, for their gods, they had to climb up this mountain to give them the worship they deserved to try to earn their blessing and their favor. But the God that Paul was preaching came down the mountain to us in Jesus. He came down to, to bless us and to rescue us and to save us. You see, every other God is a, is a God that we attain their favor by our good works, but, but, through, but the one that Paul was preaching was a God that, that we get favor through grace, through Jesus. And so they, they forsake all of their gods. You see, they had many, many gods. Even in Thessalonica, there were shrines all over the place. Shrines they could go to to worship these, these Greek gods, but also Egyptian gods and, and foreign gods. And, and they would just worship all of them just to make sure they covered all their bases. And what is so amazing here is that they did not just add the Lord to their list of gods, but they turned from all these gods. They forsook all these gods, and they turned to the one living and true God. As it says, they turned to God from idols to serve thee. Singular, the living and true God. You see, their gods did not satisfy them. Their gods did not rescue them or save them. It's the same today. You know, we, we may not bow down to statues, but everybody worships something or someone. We still have idols in our hearts. We still have many gods that we run to. We put our salvation and our, and our hope and in, in this miserable world and things that we think that can satisfy our soul, but they never do. In, in June 2005, there was a 60-minute uh, correspondent named Steve Croft, and he had an interview with, with New England Patriot quarterback Tom Brady about his success on and off the field. Uh, as you may know, Tom Brady is a, is a, like, he's got it all, right? Like, he's handsome, he won Super Bowls, he dates Super models, and, and by the time they had this interview, I think he had three Super Bowls at the time. And, and what he said was surprising to everyone. He says this, Tom Brady says this, he says, there are times where, I, where I'm not the person that I want to be. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. But me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. And what else is there for me? And then the, the, the reporter asks, what's the answer? And he responds, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. We know. We know there is a greater God out there. We know the Lord satisfies our souls. And so when we trust in Christ, we turn from these other gods, whether it be athletics or money or power or sex or whatever it might be, these things that we go to to find fulfillment and satisfaction, we turn from these things and we turn to Christ 
to serve him as a true and living God. We are under new ownership when we become Christians. Now, as many of you know, when you become a Christian, your battle against idols isn't over. In fact, it's just beginning. As John Calvin said, our hearts are idol factories. We are always worshiping something every second of every day. And many times that is not the Lord God. But we are called to turn from those idols and turn to God again and again and again through repentance. That's what repentance means. It's a turning away from and turning to God. And so let me ask you, what are the idols of your heart? We all have them. You don't have to pretend. We all have of them. What are the idols of your heart? If you need help, let me ask you some diagnostic questions. What do you think about when you're thinking about nothing? Like, what are you thinking about when you have nothing else to think about? Where do you run to for escape? Another question, what, what, what is something that, is, that, that you're missing in your life that you say, man, if I had this one thing, then everything in my life would be right? Maybe it's a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a happy spouse or a good marriage or athletic or academic success. What is that one thing where you said, man, if I had this, everything in my world would be right? Final diagnostic question is, what is something in your life that if it was ripped away from you, you would be absolutely crushed. Maybe it's your health, your friends, maybe your children. All of these are good gifts from God, but whatever takes God's place is an idol. As Christians, we are called to live a lifestyle of repentance, of constantly identifying the idols in our heart, repenting of them, and turning to serve and follow the true and living God. So a life worth imitating, just to recap, is a life that receives the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only once, but again and again and again, and bleeds over with the word of God and the gospel of Christ. It's also a life of turning from idols and turning to the true and living God. Finally, it is a life of waiting. Look at verse 9 with me. It says, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. See, after Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he rose on the third day. And after ministering in this world for 40 days, Jesus ascended into heaven. We read about this in Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. If you can imagine just being there when this happened, it would be fantastic. It says that when Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven... As he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, angels, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? I love this question. He's like, Jesus has gone to heaven. Why are you standing here? Go get to work. Go and, and seek to push forth the kingdom of God. Go and share the word of God, the gospel of Christ. Why are you still standing here, he says. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so Jesus ascends in, in a cloud of Shekinah glory, and he will return in the same way. And the Thessalonians know this, and they're clinging to it. 
You know, Jesus even talked about this in his earthly ministry. In Matthew 13, Jesus says, In those days after the tribulation and the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give in light, the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heaven will be shaken. Then he says this, And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels, and here's their purpose, and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Can you imagine how wonderful this is for a suffering people who are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus? They have been beaten. They have lost jobs. They have lost family members. They have lost friends. And they cling to this hope that Jesus is coming again. And they are awaiting his return. Not passively. They're not just sitting around doing, actually they are doing some. Paul corrects that later in the letter. But, but they're to do it actively, to serve the living and true God. Christians, we live in a life where we are suffering and struggling and there is pain and there is cancer and there is death and there is hardships and there is broken relationships and there is sadness. But we are called to live as, as those who are actively seeking to bring forth the kingdom of God with the hope that one day Christ will bring it in full. John Stott describes how this works together, this, this waiting but also working while we're waiting. And then this is what he says. It's a little bit long, but I think it's really helpful. He says, serving and waiting go together in the experience of converted people. In Christian terms, serving is getting busy for Christ on earth, while waiting is looking for Christ to come from heaven. Yet these two are not incompatible. On the contrary, each balances the other. One on, on the one hand, however hard we work and serve, there are limits to what we can accomplish. We can only improve society. We cannot perfect it. We shall never build utopia on earth. For that, we have to wait for Christ to come. It says, on the other hand, although we must look expectantly for the coming of Christ, we have no liberty to wait in idleness, with arms folded and eyes closed, indifferent to the needs of the world around us. Instead, we must work even while we wait, for we are called to serve the living and true God. Thus, working and waiting go together in combination they will deliver us both from the presumption, which thinks we cannot do everything, and from the pessimism, which thinks that we can do nothing. Christian, are you suffering? Are you tired? Are you hurting? Wait on the Lord, but in your waiting, serve the living and true God. Let me end with this. Um, we had said, you know, all of us imitate others. All of us are impressionable. All of us have people that influence us. But I think it's particularly, um, particularly poignant in the teenage years. You know, when, when the kids are little, um, they usually just look up to mom and dad. Mom and dad are like, you know, awesome, right? Um, but when they get to teenage years, mom and dad are not so awesome, right? And and, and they start looking outside of mom and dad for, for people to emulate. And this is natural and it's, it's okay to do. But, but let me ask you, teenagers, and this is for all of us, but I think those teenage years are especially formidable. Who do you try to imitate? Who do you seek to pattern your life after? 
Is it a professional athlete? Is it a YouTube sensation or a TikTok star or a famous singer or some other thrilling individual? May I recommend to you that you should seek to imitate the boring, ordinary, Jesus-loving people that are right around you in this church. Can I be honest with you? We are surrounded with an embarrassment of riches here at Jacob's Well Church. And we are surrounded with people who love the Lord, people who receive the word of God in great joy in the midst of trials. We are surrounded by people who turn from their idols and turn to God, who live a life of repentance. And we live amongst the people who are waiting on Jesus to return with great expectation and great fervor and great labor. They are waiting upon Jesus. And so while those stars out there might seem so bright and so glorious, maybe you need to look closer to home. Maybe you need to look at people that are serving in the youth group or in church or moms and dads that are around you. You see, God has surrounded you with the church community that you are in so that you can imitate people as they imitate Christ. Because believe it or not, people are also imitating you. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful that Jesus is our example. He is far more than an example. He is our savior, but he's also our example. And God, may we imitate him. May we imitate those who imitate him. And may we be a godly imitation of him to others. We pray you would help us to do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.